0: Welcome to the Combustion Chronicles podcast, where bold leaders combine with big ideas to create game-changing disruption. I'm Sean Nason, founder of Man on Fire, and your host for the Combustion Chronicles. Throughout this series, we're bringing together the most unique and influential minds we could find to have honest conversations about not being okay with the status quo, blowing shit up, and working together to influence our shared future. We believe that when bold leaders ignite consumer-centric ideas with passion and grit, the result is an explosion that creates a better world for all of us. I'm here with my co-host, Matthew Nadeau, Community Catalyst with Truth Tellers. On today's episode, we're speaking with Jason Arashabin, CEO and founder of Jason of Beverly Hills, which is a luxury jewelry brand of choice for entertainment and sports stars alike. Owned and operated by Jason since 2002, Jason Beverly Hills is known globally for their one-of-a-kind diamond pieces that shatter the boundaries set forth by traditional jewelers. While attending UCLA, Jason started his business selling plastic hair clips and silver trinkets from a six-foot table on campus. What started from a small single apartment selling plastic accessories has now grown to six retail stores worldwide worldwide selling high-end diamond pieces to the world's elite. The brand was created custom pieces for clients like Rihanna, Jennifer Lopez, Dwayne Wade, Madonna, LeBron James, and even the late Michael Jackson. Jason was also commissioned to design and manufacture countless championship rings for teams like the Los Angeles Lakers and Golden State Warriors, But more impressive to me, Jason, is the custom pieces you've created for me at Mophie and for my wife. So welcome, Jason.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Yes. So what a story, Jason, you have. And we're going to dive into that here. Your parents had these big dreams of you being a lawyer. And now here you are, one of the most successful jewelers in the world, and jeweler to the stars can you take us kind of on your journey from being that UCLA student selling at the six-foot table to building a
1: global luxury brand? Absolutely. Obviously, growing up, my parents always had the the typical parent dream for their children, right? Which was to be a lawyer or a doctor. I was always groomed to be a lawyer. My father said, I always try to talk my way out of trouble. So I would be a natural lawyer. And that's what I would love. But it didn't really speak to me the way what I do now does. And it was, doing, it was really doing something just to you know, make my parents happy. I was at UCLA studying to be an attorney. At the time, I was $28,000 in debt and had to really try to figure out what I was going to do to get myself out of it. And I've never been the type that was going to work at Baskin Robbins or McDonald's and make an hourly wage. I knew that I wanted to be in control of my own destiny. And the only way I was going to do that is to open and operate my own business. There was a few things that I knew I was good at. I can talk and I knew I love to design and be creative. I love talking to women. And I was like, hey, I got a great idea. I had gone down to the wholesale district in Los Angeles uh, with a friend of mine and noticed that there was a street and actually an alley that was selling women's accessories by the dozen. So, you know, hair clips, uh, little silver necklaces, little like just literally things that I could buy for 2 $3 a piece and then be able to sell them. And I thought I might have a great opportunity because I had $400 left in my name. I was $28,000 in debt and I knew I had to make that $400 count. So I needed to do something, something and I needed to do something big and fast. So I said, I am studying at one of the largest universities in the country. We have a huge student body. We have a large campus, we have students going in and out each and every day, and I said I have a great captive audience here, why not sell to them? So, I pleaded with the university to allow me to sell to people on campus, set up a little makeshift kiosk or shop on campus. They said no, they said no. But I didn't stop asking. I asked once, twice, 10, 15 times before they got so annoyed by me because I said you need to encourage my entrepreneurial spirit and give me a chance to do something here, and they finally gave me a chance so long as I gave 20% back to the school. So I did that. What ended up starting with one little six-foot table on campus later turned into six college campuses with many campuses have, having two different tables, one on the north side and one on the, the south side of campus. And I was a college student making six figures a year and I was doing great. I, like, li- I was living the college student's dream. The problem was is that I, when I was, I was making like $150,000 a year in college and I spent $150,000 a year. And what did I spend it on? Going out at night, partying, being involved in the nightlife scene. Probably something I wouldn't want my own children doing. But nevertheless, that really was a stepping stone to really building my career. Because <laughs> what it did is it gave me an opportunity to be around the wealthy, the famous and I, me, I was blowing every dollar I made. So I was getting tables at the clubs, buying bottles of champagne, making some noise. And that noise is what really led to this business because I realized that there was a ceiling to what I could really accomplish. And I wasn't able to let, be able to harbor my creative spirit. I wanted to design stuff. I, wanted to, I sat down and started drawing diamond pieces without knowing anything about the industry. I started drawing diamond pieces with the idea of sharing them with some of the celebrities I'd come across during all my nights going out. And guess what? I finally got one person after asking thousands of times to thousands of people that finally gave me a shot and said, yes, go ahead and make it. At that point, I didn't even know how I was gonna make it, what I was gonna do, or how I was gonna get made. In fact, I didn't even know what price to tell him, so I just spitballed the price, 40,000. He gave me a $20,000 deposit and I had to figure out who was gonna make this, piece, this bracelet for me, where I was going to make a profit. I outsourced it, I got it made, I made my money, and fast forward 18 years later, I opened up, I started dealing with all the biggest celebrities in the world, socialites, royalty, and now we've opened uh, retail stores and uh, the rest is history.
0: What a story, love it, love it, love it. With that said, Jason, and you know, you're talking to a disruptor here that loves to push the edges. When it comes to your creative process, You've been quoted as saying, I'm anti-conformist and go against the grain. I like to do pieces that challenge the level of creativity. So my stuff is definitely not for everyone. And you've elaborated by saying, if I know my mother's going to like it, I don't want it in my collection. Correct. So (laughs) you are like my brother from another mother. (laughs) You know, we tell people around Mulfi, our consulting group, around Man on Fire, with the Combustion Chronicles that we are not for everyone and I'm pretty fucking okay with that. Like some people are going to like me, some people aren't, some people want to do business with me, some people won't. And I'm okay with that. And I even love your statement. If my mother's going to like it, I don't want it in my collection. And my mother probably rolls over in her grave continually at some of the things I do. Mm-hmm. So with that said, what drives that rebellious and disruptive nature and spirit in you?
1: I wouldn't categorize myself as, you know, some rebel that's out there stealing cars and setting off fireworks, okay? I'm, I'm definitely, I like to push the envelope, but I, I do it because I want to have a reason to get up in the morning. I want to be inspired each and every day. And quite frankly, if I made the same thing that everyone else makes, life would be boring and for me it's not necessarily about the money and it never was it was more about what is gratifying to me as a person and what was gratifying to me as a person was designing stuff that got me excited to get up in the morning so if i was going to design something i didn't want to design just the everyday pieces because what i did is i remember i remember being a kid and going through my grandmother's jewelry box and seeing some of the items that she had and she had the you know what you would expect the average person I have, you know, a little diamond necklace, maybe some rings, uh, very traditional pieces. Then I went and I looked at some of the jewelry my mother had collected over the years and I went through her jewelry box and I saw much of the same thing. So generation after generation after generation, you really have not seen the big jewelry houses like Harry Winston, Cartier, Tiffany's really, really venture off the road and off the path of, and just basically kind of conform to what they feel the people would like. I decided to go to do the exact opposite. I didn't care if they would like or not like my items. I wanted to design something that would be fun to make and let the chips fall where they may. You know, if the people like it, they like it. And if they don't, they don't. But I wasn't going to be satisfied sitting over there just to make a dollar and design something that looks like everyone else's jewelry. So that's the route I took. I made my first few pieces. They were listen. I, I designed some really eccentric pieces, little off the wall pieces. A lot of people don't like it, but the people who have purchased everything, they've gotten everything up and down Rodeo Drive and Madison Avenue and Bond Street and been to all the traditional jewelry houses. These type of people are people that are looking for something different. Celebrities that have seen everything under the sun are looking for something different, something that kind of that really exemplifies their personal taste, their identity, their personality. And my designs allow people to do that, allow people to have fun wearing jewelry again. Not just wearing it because that's what you're supposed to wear. And that's what's supposed to look good when you go to a wedding. I designed for me first. And originally I didn't know if if clients will like it and When I opened my first store, I was nervous, like, are people really going to like the stuff I make? And lo and behold, they they loved it. It was a great reaction.
0: Yeah. Jason, you and I met about a year ago and have deeply fallen in love. And and your passion is clear. And I want you to share a little bit of a story because I remember walking into your boutique in Las Vegas and I had passed by that door. I don't even know how many times and didn't even completely understand. And Kind of even looked in the window and thought, that's some interesting stuff. But again, that traditional, you know, oh, my wife wants this piece or that piece. But I remember walking into that store and that boutique and looking and turning around. And it's the moment that transformed even our journey on how we purchased jewelry. But there was a piece there that was custom made after a Disney movie that my wife and I deeply love and it was the balloons and the house from up Mm -hmm. and I was with a friend of mine and I said I have to buy that piece and I remember purchasing that piece and it's been you know a journey since you've made a piece to match it for me but what was your story behind building that piece because it's exquisite it's beautiful um and I remember the I'll never forget the first night my wife wore it, where we were at. Would love to know that story.
1: Every piece that I make is kind of, it's never like people always ask me what inspires you when you're when you're making pieces. And the last thing I'll ever look at is, is jewelry, right? It's really about life experiences. And it could be, you know, throughout my travels, it could be looking at architecture, it could be looking at nature, it could be looking at furniture or clothes design. It's like it really is. It could be watching a movie and like, if you know, I watched a movie, I get inspired because I'm just like, I love everything that it represents. Not only, it's not so much only about the movie itself. It's about the the message that it sends out, like go, like the ascension, rising up, rising above, above the negativity, rising above evil. Like, I like the trajectory of it really representing going up, not down, right? So we all want to uplift our lives, uplift ourselves personally, uplift others. And I think that just that the word up, it has a positive connotation in so many different ways. And I think that's what really kind of inspired it. Although the movie definitely, there was a big part of the movie that inspired it, clearly from looking at the piece. I think it was the message behind it that made it like, that really was the icing on the cake for me. And that was a piece like many of my other pieces. It might not speak to the first 5,000 people that walk by my window, but it spoke to you. And it spoke, and, and that's what, that is the real reward behind what I do is that I'll make, I'll make pieces that might speak to one out of a million people. But you know how much more rewarding that is when I made that one piece that really hit personal for that one person? That's far more rewarding than just doing some stud earrings that everyone can make
2: this is Matt, and I I haven't seen the piece, but just the passion that Sean speaks about it and just you describing it. I can only imagine how beautiful it is. So Mm -hmm. I love your description and and how much that means not only to you as the maker, but coming around it and knowing that it means so much, not more to somebody else. I just want to be clear. You're not making hair clips or anything anymore, correct? No, I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Cause that's about my range as far as, okay, stocking stuff first. But, uh, Joking aside, I love what you said about um, just your passion and wanting to do something different and and just going for it because I think that that speaks volumes for a lot of people right now who are losing their jobs and, and who are like reevaluating their life as, as what happened and how did I get stuck here. So hearing your story that you just went out and did what you love, I think that that's not only beautiful as far as people looking for pieces that are unique but just in general like what an amazing message and especially you're talking about up and you know transcending through everything I Mm -hmm. I feel like for me that all comes full circle right now
0: I think too for the viewers to understand Jason like it's not always been easy either it's not always been that up beautiful story there's been some really hard times going against and really disrupting an industry that wasn't always that way and Can you share with us like those moments when you wanted to quit or when you feel like you failed in it, but you kept going? And what would you say to the rest of the world as they're starting businesses or they're disrupting an industry that had never been disrupted?
1: I truly feel that everyone in any business that you do, you have to servicing a niche is very very important right but more important than anything is fueling your own passion and if you do something that you love and you do something that you enjoy you're going to be great and successful at it and i think that a lot of times it's just you know people want tend to do what is expected of them not what they are passionate about and i think that a lot of a big reason why a lot of people are just not successful is because they never went they never really geared their lives towards their passion they geared their lives towards what people expected or what was the only thing available to them at the time but it's like there's always as long as you you're healthy and you're able to do it there's always a way to get it done and going against the grain is tough because you're going to hear more no's than yeses and how many people told me this is stupid this is a bad idea you'll never be successful doing that what do you this is, iris- this is irresponsible what you do, my father told me, I remember. told me I was irresponsible, irresponsible with my time. This is stupid. It's not a real business. And you know what? I heard no's from everyone, from friends, from my family, from everyone. But it's how you react to rejection and how you keep pushing through and how you don't take no for an answer and how you don't let those things bother you or bring you down. And how hard are you willing to fight? Are you willing to fight so hard that you're foaming at the mouth to get what you want, to achieve your dreams? And I think that as long as you have that passion, as long as you have that fight, and as long as you're able to not take no for an answer and follow your dreams, you're going to be successful. I'm giving
0: you an air high five, Jason, because (laughs) that's, uh, I think that's one of those fuck you moments to the world that I love to have. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do this. And, you know, Matt and I are part of a group called Truth Tellers, which is dealing with men and their emotional states, and particularly this epidemic that's happening besides COVID-19. There's another rising epidemic where 75% of men are lonely. And we have this tagline that we say, living authentically in the land of bullshit, When I say that to you, what does living authentically
1: in the land of bullshit mean to you, Jason? What is it? Living authentically in the land of bullshit, I feel like you need to be authentic to yourself, which was kind of what I was speaking about earlier, right? It's like really truly understanding and knowing who you are, being authentic. So when I designed my jewelry, like I said before, I'm not designing for someone else. It was authentic to me, it's what made me happy. Now, had I let all the bullshit that was around me kind of misguide me, discourage me, change my path. Money or no money, I would have been I wouldn't have been happy. And that's something that's really, really important is that people tend to not be authentic to who they are. But before you can do that, you need to really have a true understanding of who it is that you are. What is it that you want to be? And are you willing to do anything to achieve that happiness? Because all the bullshit you speak of is the dark cloud that will try to take away your happiness. But as long as you're authentic and you follow the path to your own happiness and you are real with who you are and you're self-aware, then I think you'll make it through the the cloud and through the storm. So that's what it kind of means to me when you say that.
0: Awesome. Simply said here, what would the story of your life look like in jewelry form?
1: The story of my life in jewelry form would be a piece of jewelry that was clearly repaired two or three times, that is pretty eccentric in different colors and looks like it started and stopped at different times. Because I think that kind of tells the story of my, of my career, is we had setbacks, we will continue to have setbacks, but we fight through. And like, Every flaw has an inner beauty, right? So I sometimes I make things that are not only eccentric but controversial, maybe offensive to many, many people, but it's okay. And I think that a lot of my pieces that have multiple layers to them in as far as meaning, I think that would be very applicable to like what my life is. So if you ask me to be succinct, they basically would be a piece that Looks like it's been started and stopped three or four times because that—that's literally what makes up our life, all of us, right? We go through trials and tribulations. Nothing's perfect, and no jewelry piece is perfect, and nobody's life is
2: perfect. We all go through it. I love that, Jason. Jason, you said that you that there's pieces that might offend somebody. Could you give an example of that? I'm intrigued. I've
1: done, I've done you know, pieces that have references to drugs. With I did a syringe ring with rubies in it. I've done a razor blade with. With diamonds hanging at the end as if it was cocaine, but it was really more of, it's less about drugs and more about a, a play on words, on people's addiction and vices. And we all have them, right? Whether it be drinking, it could be gambling, it could be women, it could be men, it could be shopping, it could be diamonds, right? We all have that. So, like, it is about understanding, being self aware, and embracing your vices. And it was less about drugs, but everyone kind of, you know, I got hate mail, I got people saying things to me. And I was like, well, if you really understand, it took time to listen to what I was saying. You know, it had nothing to do about drugs and had to do about embracing our flaws and understanding our flaws.
0: That's beautiful, man. So Jason, what does the future look like for you right now?
1: I am happy to say that I don't know. And I like it that way. The future, as long as I I maintain the passion that I have and I get excited to wake up every (laughs) morning, like I said, I'm excited to a future that brings something different each and every day. Who would have known two months ago we were going to be in this pandemic, but we are here today. I'm excited about navigating these rough waters. I'm excited about figuring out how I have to pivot and how business is going to change and how the retail business is going to change given the new circumstance. For me, that challenge in itself is fun. So to answer your question, to say, hey, I'm going to have 45 stores in the next five years. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I don't know what I'm going to do because our environment changes from day to day. My passions change from day to day. What gets me excited changes from day to day. And I like to keep it that way. So to answer your question, I have no clue.
2: (laughs) I I love it.
0: Love it. Well, we've come to that point. We're going to wrap up here, Jason. And at this point in every one of our podcasts, we ask each of our guests, Three combustion questions that we use this amazing scientific algorithm to create, and it's uh, one of our team members who creates them. Mm -hmm. So combustion question number one, Jason, is breakfast really the most important meal of the day, or
1: is that just a rumor? Just a rumor. Every time I have breakfast, I feel weighed down for the rest of the day. I happen to have my first meal at lunch.
0: Awesome. I'm sure there's many that agree with you. Combustion question number two, pedicures, yes or no?
1: For me, no, because I'm extremely ticklish on my feet and I look like an idiot when I'm getting a pedicure. Tried it once with a past girlfriend and it was a terrible sight.
0: I don't know. I think I may want to be there again. We may have to do that in <laughs> Vegas together, Jason, and, and do some live video feed of what that's like.
1: Yeah. No, <laughs> I literally could not sit in the chair. I jumped out of it. I was like, I can't do this.
0: okay here is the big whammy of questions what do you think
1: about duct tape i think duct tape is one of god's magical contributions to this world because it is the one thing that fixes almost everything I remember being a kid and there was a draft in the house and my father put duct tape around the the door sill to make sure there's no draft. I remember when our antennas didn't work, my father used duct tape to tape them together so we would have a better reception. I know when I've sprained my thumb or my ankle or my foot many times in my life, I use duct tape to hold it together and secure my ankle so I'm not moving it around. How many other things in this world have as many functions and do as many things as duct tape? One of the greatest things ever. Right,
0: Matt? Like, there needs to be a duct tape ring or something now. All right. I'm designing one for you, Sean. Get ready. All right, brother. You know I'll take it. So, well, thanks so much, Jason, for being on here. And thanks for sharing your story with us. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in person again and giving you a hug, man. Absolutely. Look forward to it. All right, Jason. Thanks. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Combustion Chronicles. None of this would be possible without you, the listener. If you'd like to keep the conversation going, look us up at Man on Fire Social on Instagram and Facebook, or find us on YouTube at The Combustion Chronicles. Give us a shout and join our disruption movement. And check out this episode's downloadable recap page at manonfire.co. We know you lead a busy life, so if you're driving, exercising, or maybe you're just blowing your own shit up, don't worry. We've already taken the notes for you. Each recap is filled with guest information, episode themes, quotes, resources, and more. And remember, please subscribe, rate, and review if you like what we are doing. And if you don't, do it anyways. Stay safe and be well.